please join me in Luke chapter 2. We're going to read just uh, two verses from a familiar passage, or the familiar chapter of Luke chapter 2. We land the plane of this series from the last several months. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have, trying to work our way for four months or so through the Old Testament, through the Hebrew Scriptures, and uh, toward the celebration of Jesus' birth. And as we recognize, as the Jesus storybook reminds us, that every story whispers his name. Luke chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. And before we read, let's pray. Lord God, your word is a gift. And as the disciples once said long ago, we echo this morning, where else can we go? For you have the words of life. And so may your spirit continue to be faithful and open our hearts, our lives, our minds, our ears so that we might know you more deeply, love you more fully, and desire to serve you In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. This is the word of the Lord. The question in front of us this morning is, how do we spot a treasure? Lots of shows nowadays, like Pawn Stars or Antique Roadshow or American Pickers, focus on those who rummage through estates, yards, and houses that are in disarray to find treasure. To find something that from first appearance is either worthless or seems much less valuable than it actually is once it's been cleaned or truly certified. About a week ago, such a treasure came to light. Perhaps you saw this, a pen and paper drawing was discovered earlier in northern Massachusetts. It's a drawing called The Child, or excuse me, The Virgin and Child with a Flower on a Grassy Bank. It's an ink and paper drawing from the Renaissance artist Albrecht Dürer, which was a piece uh, previously unknown to the world. The last time one of Dürer's uh, artwork hit the open market, it was over 40 years ago, 1978, and his watercolor sold for $1.3 million in London. This drawing was discovered at an estate sale 
and purchased for $30. By chance, an old book collector had stopped by and became acquainted with the owner of this piece. And after a number of months of research and work to uncover the value of this piece, most experts imagine that this drawing will sell in London in a few weeks' time for close to $50 million. How do you spot a treasure? Well, in the case of this drawing, it's not exact, it wasn't exactly easy because if you look at the painting, it really doesn't look that nice. In fact, the person who purchased it at the estate sale purchased the frame, not the drawing. He liked the frame and the religious appearance of the artwork. And so when the expert, the the rare book salesman who connected with this owner, uh, looked at the piece and began to investigate it more fully, the first inclination was to imagine that the piece wasn't really that valuable. Because on the back of the paper, there was adhesive. Someone had imagined that the piece wasn't very valuable and so had taken some tape or glue and used that to secure it to something else. It also appeared that somehow the drawing, the paper that it was on, had been artificially aged whether through coffee stains or some other way, someone had tried to make the paper look older than it had been first thought to be. And so some of the experts, when they were looking at the drawing, had imagined, well, if this really can't be that valuable. How can something that's got glue on the back, that's got some marks on it, how can it be truly valuable? And yet the The experts didn't stop. They continued to investigate. And they went through the painstaking art of having the adhesive removed from the paper. They investigated exactly what kind of paper it was and learned that it was a paper that was made in the 16th century. And once the paper had been had all of the adhesive removed, they could hold it up to the light. And when doing that, they could see a watermark that was put on all of Dreux's pieces. It took care, skill, curiosity, and time to spot the treasure. Now, in our text this morning, we're told that Mary treasures. And it's worth wondering, not only what is she treasuring, but what does that mean? If you have your Bible open, the way Luke tells his gospel, it's, it's sort of, just take a step back with me. We know the text, and so it almost doesn't strike us anymore. But Mary and Joseph are brought, uh, arrive in Bethlehem, and of course, there's no room for them in the guest room, right? There's no guest room available for them, and so it's likely they're in the common area where there are animals. And so Mary gives birth. There's a, this Bethlehem is a small village. 
There are no epidurals. Everyone in the village hears this teenager giving birth. And we're told that almost at the same time, that, that's the way the story goes, right? And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in clothes, placed him in the manger, and there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, right? There's no pause. And so we're in some ways left to wonder whether the epidural has even worn off before these shepherds start parading into the room saying, where's the baby? I don't know about you, when our children were born, the last thing we wanted to see was anyone. And yet in walk all of these guests. Mary has traversed from Nazareth. It's likely this was maybe the first time she'd ever left her hometown, other than visiting Elizabeth, of course. She's with a brand new husband. They've just gotten married and betrothed. She's in an unfamiliar setting. She's now sleeping in a common room surrounded by Joseph's family and animals and shepherds are coming in and there is all of this hubbub. And what we're told the shepherds do is when they see the baby, again, think about that for just a moment. Mary has been told, Joseph has been told that the baby being born is going to be the son of the Most High. If you were giving birth to God, would you lay him in a feed trough? I certainly wouldn't. And yet God says to the shepherds, that's how you're going to know. And whether it was just a moment in time, whatever reason, when the shepherds came in, Jesus was lying in this manger. And when we hear the shepherds hearing, you know, spreading the word, we shouldn't be thinking them all logging into their social media accounts. We should think about them going door to door in Bethlehem, waking up everyone who has already heard the Virgin Mary, uh, this young teenager giving birth, spreading the news door to door. And they may have, that may have sent other guests to the guest room to see the new baby. And yet Luke zeroes in on the fact that while all of this is going on, Mary treasures up these things and ponders them in her heart. One of the great things about the Gospel of Luke, and if you have your Bible open, you can go back to the very first verses, but Luke tells us that he investigates and he interviews people before writing this Gospel. And so when we hear something, we can ask the question of Luke, how did you know this? How did you know that Mary treasured up these things unless someone who knew Mary told you? Right, Luke is not sitting down at his computer and typing away thinking, hmm, how can I make this more interesting? Ah, yes, Mary will treasure up all these things and think about them later. No, Luke is not making this up. We know from the Gospel of Acts that Luke meets Jesus' brother James, and it's highly possible that Luke may have even interviewed Mary herself. Mary 
while all of this is going on, all of this news is taking place, treasures up these things and ponders them in her heart. So what does that mean? We know, of course, that what this does not mean is that it solves everything. When we read that Mary treasures up all these things and ponders them in her heart, it does not mean that she suddenly understands the fullness of what God being born in the flesh means. We don't even get the sense from this text that Mary understands who Jesus will become when he grows up. Because later we're told that Mary joins Jesus' brothers in trying to talk him off the crazy sledge, saying, you think you're the Messiah, let's just hold on a few minutes. Right? Mary is part of that. She hasn't figured this out yet. Yet she is there at the cross. She is there in the upper room. She is there when the Spirit is poured out. She is also there treasuring and pondering even when not everything has been figured out? And in some ways, that's what these images have been trying to do. They don't solve everything. This jar of corn, of course, reminds us that what evil intends for evil, God intends for good. Now, in the right context, that can be incredibly comforting. That can mean a lot. But sometimes, a saying like that needs to be treasured and pondered on and wonder what it means. Not as the final say, well, God intended it for good, so it must be good. Yes, but we may not know in this lifetime what that means. Because even in the birth of Jesus, while all of the answers were given, not all of the answers in their fullness were given, and we won't get them until he returns. And we could do that with all of these images. Right this morning, we read that text that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, literally put his tent down in our neighborhood. And yet sometimes, even though we believe and we know and trust with our heads and maybe even with our heart that God is dwelling with us, that he is Emmanuel, God with us, it still feels like he's holding something back from us and sort of isn't all in. It's more tent than house. More canvas sides than a sturdy foundation with brick walls and a roof. And so Mary invites us. 
as we consider how every story points to Jesus and how he fulfills that and how we are also awaiting his coming and how he is the answer to everything, exactly what it all means. We are invited to treasure and ponder. And like that drawing, it takes time and skill and curiosity. It takes removing some of those hardened adhesives to wonder exactly how God is choosing to show up in this space at this time in this way. And it takes pondering allowing ourselves the discomfort to say that a trite, easy answer, well, God intended it for good, may be true, but may not be enough. God can handle that. He invites us, like the psalmist, to cry out to him, to be honest with him, and like Mary, to not have everything figured out and what this might mean. As the shepherds run around, as the animals run around to wonder what God is up to in the oddity of this moment. So next week, these images will be gone. Hopefully you'll remember a few of them. Hopefully they'll come to mind at a time or a place we're like, in a normal life, we take out our treasure chest and we open it and we look inside and we remember what's valuable, what has become more important over time because of what has happened to us or because of what God has done in our midst. And we, we ponder. And in that, we reflect and we remember and we give God praise that he is present, that he is faithful, that he is committed to us and will not stop. And in that way, bless us. Let's pray. Gracious God, may you provide us with times to ponder. and to wonder what this might mean. Most of us confess that we are not so good at that. We're much better at scrolling. We're much better at turning the news on or the radio and filling this silence with noise. And even when it isn't noisy, we often don't allow our hearts to open the treasure chest, and ponder. And yet, God, over the last several weeks, last several months, you've invited us to, to wonder about how you have been in the lives of your people and how you are in our lives and what that might mean.
And so, God, may you, like Mary, help us to come to believe and trust in your Son, Jesus. And while we wait to treasure and ponder, in the name of our Savior, we pray. Amen.